the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, but that announcement was a liar. I'm so sorry. Brian Fromm is not here. He is in Florida, but you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. You can also go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. You can leave a comment or a review. Uh, Ultimately, we want to create space for a dialogue, for a conversation. When it seems like the chasm just seems to widen more and more, how do we actually lean in and have an intelligent dialogue? And I am absolutely thrilled to have in the studio, in the flesh, my good friend, Jeff Sandstrom. Jeff, welcome to the show, my man. I am so happy to be here. This <laughs> is amazing. You are, you you sound happy. People can't see you, but they can probably just feel how <laughs> joyful you are as a person. I feel like that's just sort of a gift that you have. If No, I think it's a gift they have. If they can feel my joy, they have the gift of uh, some sort of discernment, because that's amazing. Uh, if you don't know, Jeff is at Calvary Church of Naperville. And uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that I'm also in Naperville. Bingo. And uh, in fact, why don't you why don't you tell people how you and I met? Our bromance started maybe a few years ago. Um, yeah, Naperville yeah. has some sort of a, a national. Pr- I guess the nation actually has a national prayer day, but <laughs> Naperville has something they put on for it. And uh, you in and I, in conjunction with right, yeah, in conjunction with the municipality or you know powers to be, whatever. Sure. So everybody comes together, and usually people are sixty or older. Right. But when all the pastors, because each pastor prays over a certain aspect of the nation and whatnot, right. and they're you know handing out cards and. I'm not really sure what I got, like pray for the, the bunnies or something like that. And then, you know, you got one too. And I was like, oh, he's a pastor too. We should hook up because he's got a beard, glasses, and we look the same. We do look very similar. So perhaps we won't dismiss each other. And uh, it was great. It was a romance from the beginning. And he's like, oh, I, my yellow box. And I was like, oh, yeah, Dave Ferguson. Great. So connected, boom. Everything's great from there on out. I think, honestly, and I probably told you this when we had lunch that first time, I saw you and you were wearing a suit. But you were wearing no tie, and you were wearing loafers without socks on. I was like, that's my guy right there. Correction. That's my- jeans with the jacket. Don't judge me because of the jacket. <laughs> I did have jeans on, and I believe they were skinny. So from that, it was just, were- yeah, it was love at first sight. You saw me, and you thought, man, if I wasn't married. I don't think so. I, I think yeah. <laughs> I can't say that. All right, so you're at Calvary Church in Aprilville. Uh, Correct. But you've, you've not been there for that long. How long have you been there, and where did you come from? before actually taking a position at that church. Yeah, um, in 1985, there's a man named Doug. I'm just kidding. That's true. But Go uh, way back. Yeah, way, way back. You born in 85? I was. Oh, you're a youngin. Oh, you're a child. Everybody knows how Everyone small knows I now. am now. Darn it, I've outed myself. Um, before being at Calvary in Naperville, um, we, uh, we, I say we, as in not my imaginary friend, I am married. 
And my wife's name is Erica. We planted a church in uh, Berkeley, California. Right on. And then came from Berkeley, California to um, Chicagoland. So we traded our hipster friends in organic <laughs> tomatoes for moms on Prozac driving Hummers. And uh, it's great. Uh, just a little bit of culture shock, that's all. And right. uh, so we started this house church movement with uh, um, a church called Ethos. That's what we uh, mm. uh, called it. My wife actually named it. She's, she's the brilliant one. She's, got, she's getting her PhD, so all of our good ideas come from her. I've met and, her, and I totally agree. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. met her? Yeah. One, oh, in the car? Yeah, yeah one, one time. time. Yeah, one time. <laughs> yeah, that one time. Yeah, Ten yeah, seconds. She made an impression. That's oh, great. She's like, don't ever do that again. <laughs> I don't want to see him ever again. <laughs> Not at all. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So we, we uh, um, planted this uh, house church movement. Uh, we had eight locations, five pastors. Things mm. were humming. And then we got the attention um, of Calvary Church in Apeville and uh, kind of subcontracted to kind of help them with uh, uh, sites and planting and stuff like that. Oh, really? Yeah, it was great. They uh, um, asked us to come on full-time, and I was like, heck no, techno? (laughs) Why would I work for Walmart when I've got my own thing going? Oh, interesting. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, from where we came from, what we were doing was organic, and it was cool, and it was all millennials. I mean, everybody in our church was... You know, I mean, ninety five percent between eighteen and thirty five, and it wow. was it was great. It was it looked like us, and then to go to a place like Calvary that didn't look like us was like, yeah, I don't think that's for us. Uh, but uh, uh, some of their pastors came and said, we'd really like you to think and and pray and maybe even fast about it. And wow. uh, the Lord spoke and said, all right, well, uh, you know, this may be the next uh, transition. So we went from this organic house church movement to. Um, this this mega church where people still wore suit coats on Sunday right, mornings, which right. is totally different. <laughs> it's crazy, but uh, um, you know, in order to uh, affect goodness, you got to be inside the belly of the beast, right? That's right. That's right. Well, okay. So, did you were you aware of some of the culture before you took the job, like the suit coat thing? And oh the, yeah, yeah. So you for were like, sure. you were well framed for it. Yeah, yeah. Even being subcontracted, none of our uh, churches met on Sunday mornings. They were all other days of the week, which is you know, sacrilegious in and of itself. <laughs> um, but so we would attend sometimes on Sundays. And um, the reason we said no is not because it was a bad church. We just are familiar with mega churches and mm. how things run sometimes wasn't really what we were interested in. We wanted a more organic approach to reach the people that big churches didn't reach. Mm. And uh, we realized that it didn't run like a machine. Um, there was good people, a yep. great staff, and we just we fell in love with the people. And I think God kind of touched our hearts, so we turned everything over, and that was... Uh, that was that. That's incredible. Okay, yeah. so, you, so you went from this, like, really, to use your word, like, organic granola, I imagine, like... There some, was a lot of granola. Somebody had dreads, right. somebody wore a fedora, somebody oh, no idea. made their own clothes Testimony or whatever. Testimony time was so interesting. Right, right oh. I'm sure of it. What, what, yeah, what was, that, what was that transition like? Because those really do, like, under the same universal banner of, like, all right, we're Team Jesus in both camps, but right, right. there's all sorts of these intricacies that were vastly different. What was it like going from one environment that you were like intimately involved with yeah. to an environment like the one that you're at now? It was crazy. Um, for one, you know, when people would get saved, um, we would we would have them baptized in our a rooftop pool in San Francisco, no which way. was awesome. <laughs> we'd tell the kids to play at the other end while we, you know, did some religious work over here. Um, and so you go from, you know, stuff like that where people are giving testimonies. And remember this one guy in particular just... It was rough around the edges, so he had a hard time formulating sentences without using four-letter words. Yeah, right. And that you go from that to um, mega church where everybody knows their lines. Yes, and it's mm. just uh, it's 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 difficult. There are pros and cons in both camps. Like everybody's team Jesus, like you're talking about, but it took a little while to get used to um, you know be, being with people who are rough, don't know their lines, and 
asking questions like, why did Jesus write the Bible? They just uh, have no right, idea. Right. They, don't, this... they don't even know the question. Like, they exactly. don't even know what to ask sometimes. Exactly. Which which I actually love and appreciate yes. because I'm like, I know what I'm working with, you yeah. know? And then we go into mega church land where there may be people who know the Bible inside and out, but some of them, I question whether there was ever a transformation that took place. So That's right. for me, it's much easier to show people the way when they have no context rather than telling people who think they know everything that wow. there's still more it's that that can be kind of difficult sometimes so identifying that difference is really helpful for me because um I, you know i grew up going to church but, yeah but not necessarily enjoying it i went because parents said you were going i was like oh, right. okay I, you're bigger than i am i guess i'm i guess i'm going and then <laughs> fell in love with the people and then yeah. had a, a number of sort of like ups and downs throughout my like late teen years yeah but to the point where even even after i was almost done with my undergrad in student ministry went home and said I don't think I can do this church thing anymore. Wow. Like it become so disenfranchised. Yep. And then, you know, fast forward, you know, now 15 years later, like finding more and more about the local church that I never yeah. knew I would love this much, but it went in this really weird, twisty, turvy, and like what you're saying <laughs> right, with regards right. to like people that don't know that they don't know. Exactly. There, There is actually, I'm finding you're right, additional barriers to people who think they're like... I'm all set. Yep. I, I figured out Jesus. I figured out doctrine. Yep. I kind of just need a Sunday show every week, and uh, I'm good to go. That can be... Deconstruction is right. so difficult. Okay, so I want to talk to you about that coming up next, this deconstruction and some okay. of your journey still from house church to mega church, and some of the stuff maybe that you're even still processing through, if that's okay. Great. So we're going to talk about that coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, a show all about hopefully creating space for dialogue to not always have easy answers to kind of enter into the mess and the gray because that's that's kind of where real life is for us. And normally I'm joined by Brian Fromm, but he's in Florida right now. But I'm thrilled to let you all know that I have in the studio right now my friend Jeff Sandstrom. Jeff. Mm, so glad to be here, Ian. <laughs> I can't tell if you're being serious right now. I am being 100% serious. Yes, <laughs> I'm so glad that to be felt here. really patronizing. Like, mm, when and is d- this over? Well, I, when I feel we- really uh, like I need to have a radio voice when I'm in here with you, you because I feel so overshadowed. No, you have a fantastic radio. Well, just get you. real, just get really real deep. Get real. There you I've go. I've been really trying I'm to. I'm so uncomfortable right now. I am too. I'm not doing this anymore. I... Yeah. Okay, so before the break, you were mentioning this, I think, a really fascinating journey of being this, uh, you were planting house churches with yeah. these, like, hippie communities on the West Coast. That's correct. And now you're a mega church pastor in Naperville, Illinois, at Calvary Church of Naperville, and there's probably some obvious differences, and maybe some not-so-obvious differences, but uh-huh, uh-huh. you were mentioning, and I, I think I think there's a lot there, because when you're dealing with people who have who have maybe never been a part of a church community at all, yeah. they don't even know the questions they don't know, and then... Where you're at now, in some ways, a lot of people feel like, oh, I, I already have all the answers. Right. I've already kind right. of arrived theologically. Yep. And you mentioned, you used this word deconstruction, which I think is really, uh, I think it's an appropriate word. How, how do you, in your current context, or how have you in previous context, help people walk through this deconstruction? Because it can be, it can be really terrifying, too, because you are sort of like, Poking the bear a little bit. Oh, and totally. You're challenging some norms. It's all about poking the bear. I know that you are, but, yeah. <laughs> you, but you're also a really great pastor. If I could just say that, like, I think you have a fantastic pastoral heart. Thanks, Ian. Where some people just poke the bear for the sake of poking the bear. You right. have such an obvious love for people. So you do it in a way that feels very pastoral. And I don't know that everyone knows how to do that well. Yeah. And I'm curious how you go about that. 
It's a, it's a really good question. Um, I don't know how I go about it either. <laughs> Got to just make it up as I go, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, but the, yeah, from being in one context to another, it was, uh, um, it was just, you know, a little bit of culture shock to try to get used to, okay, um, trying to teach people who don't know their lines or anything, going to a place where people have maybe played church for a really long time, but mm. maybe it hasn't uh, penetrated their heart yep. in a while. So um, trying to bring people back to that. And one of the one of the greatest things is storytelling, mm. just telling stories about my own life and how I've screwed stuff up in the past. <laughs> and yeah. Funny enough, being very genuine and honest and authentic actually opens up the door for people to be like, oh, wait, me too. Mm. You know, stuff like that. Yep. And uh, um we, Erica and I, my wife and I, found, uh, especially within uh, ministry, with, with people our own age, mm. um, in the 20s, 30s, millennial, stuff like that, um, when people are jaded by um, the big building, the big Walmart, big box, stuff like that, when we come back down to, yeah, but we're all on the same team, they seem to uh, jump on board with that. Right, right. Um, Everyone's blood pressure seems to lower a little bit. When yeah. you say, hey, hey, we're, we're on the same team here. Let's we're not, the, we're not yeah. trying to be at each other's throats, which it often seems like yeah. from the outside looking in. Everybody wants to fight. Yeah, right. Everybody right. wants to drop at the, you know, fight at the drop of a hat. And it's, it's really not what it's about. If we find ways for all of us to work, it's not us against you. It's not, you know, liberal against conservative and right, right and wrong. It's just, no, no, no. We're, we're kind of all on the same team trying to uh, find our own um, path and equilibrium. You know, mm. like when... Uh, they talk about the pendulum effect, right? So when yep. you uh, drop an object that's, you know, wired to a fulcrum and it swings to one side, and then when it swings back, it won't swing any higher than from the point it was released from. Hmm. Uh, but uh, the funny thing is we do that all the time. Right. We, uh, I remember when, uh, probably about two decades ago, my dad's teaching me how to drive, right? <laughs> I'm 13, which makes this illegal. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, I remember him saying, I'll be darned if the government's going to tell me that after right. a few hours behind the wheel, you can drive by yourself. He's oh. like, you're going to be the best driver in, in your class when you get to driver's ed. I love your father. Which was both a threat and a promise, I'm sure. Oh, right, right. Um, I don't, I don't remember what kind of car my dad had, but it was green and the inside was like tan leather interior. Awesome. And it had one of those, uh, you know, uh, projection reflections up in the windshield to show yep. your speed and stuff. It was like yep. cutting edge technology <laughs> yeah, at the time. No kidding. When you would, uh, turn the key to start the car back when you would turn a key to start a car, right. uh, the entire dashboard would light up. It looked like Christmas, like the mm. cockpit of an airplane before takeoff. Mm. And there's one time he's having me drive back roads uh, on, during the winter, um, and all the snow is off the uh, the roads and everything, but I'm still driving cautiously because I didn't know if there was black ice. Right. And then he turns to me and he says, hey, tap the brakes. I want to see if the roads are slick. <laughs> I'm like, you serious, Clark? You <laughs> I'm 13. You yeah. want me to tap the brakes on an icy road? I don't have that skill yet. Right, right, right. So, but, but like, I'm afraid of my dad. And so I slowly press the brake pedal, and there's no sliding. We're good. I'm like, oh, it's great. And he looks over at me. He goes, did you even do it? Come on, be a man. Oh, man. Yeah, a- adolescent Jeff was like, am I being challenged right now? Yeah, right. And so I right. stared at him, and I just punched the brake pedal. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. I'm a bad kid. Uh, immediately, we start sliding into oncoming traffic lanes. And oh so, and word. trying to overcorrect, I turn the wheel all the way to the right. We spin, do a 360, oh end up gosh. nose end first, vertical in the ditch. And Jeez. after the smoke clears, my dad's like, what are you, nuts? <laughs> you know, like, so this like back and forth kind of thing. Like, we do this as humans. I've I've got, I we don't have any kids, but I do have a niece who, I, I have a niece and a nephew. Mm. I love my nephew. I also love my niece. She's like, she's everything. Probably because she looks a lot like my wife at four years old, <laughs> yep. which is weird in and of itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, we, we see him all the time and all this kind of stuff. Hmm. This, uh, 
this one time, my, my sister-in-law does a really good job of trying to, you know, raise her kids to eat healthy fruits and vegetables so they grow big and strong and all this kind of stuff. And uh, th- th- this one time, my sister-in-law goes upstairs to do something, get something like you do only momentarily. And she comes back down to find um, my uh, uh, my niece hiding behind the couch hmm. um, eating a bag of sugar. Oh, gosh. So uh, apparently... Just raw when, sugar? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when when her mom went upstairs, she thought it was as an opportunity to break out of the prison that apparently she had been accustomed to, you know, uh, that, this kind of cruelty of eating healthy. And she doesn't reach for chips or cookies or candy, pulls down a two-pound bag of pure sugar oh, man. and runs behind the couch and starts eating out of the bag with a spoon. And I'm like, what causes a little girl to think that this is... I'm like, oh, it's the pendulum effect. Yeah, we go from right. one side to another, one side to another, and... Um, you know, the book of Galatians talks about that uh, mm. when uh, um, the Galatians are f- feeding into these lies about having to be circumcised and all this. And Paul comes against them and is like, you know, I d- this is wrong. Like, I, I didn't circumcise Titus and this right. isn't the gospel. I checked with the elders of the church and the right. gospel I've been preaching is, is good. And so people tend to swing from one side to another. They go from this ultra um, conservatism to where, yes, Jesus is good, but you also need um, baptism or belief in predestination or speaking in tongues. Like you need all this other stuff. Right. And then on the other side, um, people tend to swing to, you know, the opposite and think that, well, grace is just uh, freedom. And it's like this free ticket, a license to do whatever you want. So you've got mm-hmm. legalism on one side and a license on the other. And it's right. like, where is the equilibrium in yes. all this? And yes. so helping people find that there is an equilibrium to how we uh, um, live out our our gospel lives, our lives of love. I, yeah. I think that's a real challenge, and, and it's different for everybody because you find mm. your equilibrium in, in a different way. Our fellowship used to pass out these membership cards, which I think is ridiculous. I was just talking to one of our uh, leaders of our fellowship this past week, and he said, yeah, when somebody would join our church and become a member, we'd give them a membership card, and on the mm. back of it, it would have these list of rules, what you would not do. So I will not uh, play cards. I will not see movies. I will not drink alcohol. I'm like, no what kidding. a terrible idea. <laughs> I'm so glad we got rid of that. He's like, yeah, you know, it was good to get rid of it because we got rid of legalism, but I wonder how many people now are still pursuing holiness. Oh, so wow. trying to find that perfect balance between you know, legalism and holding it, you know, between grace and, you know, keeping your heart right with God. Where, where is that? Where does that stop? And the, the, the crappy part is it's different for everybody. Yes. Right. Like it, if something's okay for somebody, it doesn't mean it's okay for another and vice That's versa. Right. And so then you have lots of people that think, well, whatever God has spoken to me in my life about should be the same for everybody else. Yeah, and it's right. like, okay, that's not how the kingdom of God is supposed to work. Right, though. right. And I wonder, too, if because you've had an opportunity to, to minister in such drastically different environments, it's given you a particular appreciation for this oh, balance, yeah. for this equilibrium, Absolutely. because you've seen arguably yeah. both, both extreme ends of the pendulum. What being a Christian in Berkeley looks like is not the same as it looks right. in Naperville. I right. mean, there are core convictions, obviously, but it's just... It, it can look different, just like America and Europe yep. and everything. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's right. a matter of the heart. That's what God's after anyway, That's right? right? That's right. That's right. That's so good, man. Well, coming up next, we're going to continue to talk to Jeff, not only about this idea of equilibrium, of balance, which in a lot of ways is hopefully what this show is about, about finding some common space to actually dialogue. But also, I want to talk to you a little bit about some of your uh, ministry to young adults in particular, because I feel like for so many churches, that's such a head-scratcher. How, how do we reach the young people? Right, right. I think you have some really, really good insight onto that particular conversation. So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. Normally, Brian Fromm would be here, 
but he's uh, suffering for the Lord in Florida, mm. sending me photos like every six minutes of him by the pool, actually. so Which is kind of weird if you think about it. It is a little strange, and it doesn't feel uh, like he's remorseful about it at all, but I'm fine. I'm over it. I don't even know the guy. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> That's true. Ooh, he's going to fight you when he gets back? Oh, That's man. Okay. That other voice you're hearing, though, is my friend Pastor Jeff Sandstrom of Calvary Church of Naperville. Hey, world. And we've been talking a bit about your unique journey of planting house churches in California to becoming a megachurch pastor in Naperville. Yeah, yeah. And some of the, the hurdles and opportunities and obstacles. And one of the things that I think you do brilliantly that is a head-scratcher for so many pastors is engage with a millennial young adult context hmm. with like authenticity and and quote unquote success. Like it just seems I don't I don't know if it's just a magnetism that you have or if there really is like is there a strategy to how you engage? Because I feel like I meet pastors every single week. They're like, how do we reach young people? How do we reach young people? Right. And yeah. I imagine you get the same question. What do you what do you tell them when yeah. they ask that? Number one, I try to remember their name. Number two, I try to get into their life to find. I'm just kidding. There's no magic. <laughs> I know. I there, know. There, 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 I there's no up. magic. I yeah, set yeah. you up. There, there's lots of articles out there that six ways to win millennials. They're all lies. They're yeah. they're, they're they're not real. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this thing about millennials, I think, is probably the same thing about any. Kind of, we were so obsessed with labels, right? So hmm. I don't even know if millennials like being called millennials. Apparently, I'm one because of my birthday. I don't. It doesn't mean anything to me. Right, you know, right. Labels, this. I mean, you got millennials, Gen Xers, this. That we are so obsessed with with, with labels. Hmm. And uh, I don't know. Maybe that goes back to the very beginning, right? Adam and Eve, and I mean, they uh, partook of what's forbidden hmm. because of labels. They wanted to know the difference between good and evil, right and wrong. So maybe it's just part of our DNA. I don't really know. I just, I, I got really deep, really quick. I don't know yeah, where that wow, came from. Man, way to go. What is in this coffee? <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think when it comes to, uh, um, I, I think people are, are, are people. I mean, different generations may have different things that they, you know, uh, are connected to and, you know, that they kind of gravitate towards. But I think that, I don't know. I just kind of feel like people are uh, are people. One of the things that I was learning from going from organic house church network to you know mega church and all this sort of thing is, uh, um, you know, when when we were kind of doing this organic thing with house churches, it was great because you know we we're talking about we were baptizing people, we were um, leading people to the Lord one on one, and then you go to uh, mega church land, and uh, not that you're not doing that anymore. But you're not doing that anymore. Huh. You're leading other people, showing them how to do it. And you kind of lose out on a lot of that uh, you know, one-on-one kind of uh, um, experience. And I, sometimes I really, really miss that. But, you know, you need to raise up leaders in order to kind of right. cast the nets uh, uh, further. When we were uh, house church planting, I remember there's this, uh, um, I was uh, alluding to this earlier, a, a guy who was coming a little rough around the edges, you know, four-letter words were his favorite. And hmm. uh he uh, he let me know when we're in a house, right? So it's already <laughs> weird. Everybody thinks it's a cult. We're going to ask him to drink Kool-Aid at some point. You're so wearing it's like, robes, I imagine. Yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. And we're all like facing the northeast corner watching a TV screen with scripture <laughs> on it. And everybody's like, uh, this is kind of weird. But it wasn't. It was kind of cool. And there was like, it was like a house party, right? Yeah, right. With a purpose, which mm. which was great. And uh, he comes to me and lets me know that he wants to be a Christian. He's been coming for a while and everything. And mm. um, he kind of looked like Channing Tatum. If uh, that's any context for you listeners out there, probably not. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's just a good-looking kid, rough around the edges, lets me know he wants to have the spiritual connection that the other guys have because mm. he feels like he's missing out. Oh, so I'm he's like, observing it, and the other people is like, that's what I want. Yeah, I want some of that. Yeah, exactly. He's Got like, it. I keep coming back. I don't know why. Now I know. Whatever this thing is that you guys have, I want. I'm like, that's, that's great. Yeah. And so I text him underneath the table. I'm like, hey, meet me in the back bedroom after the service is over. 
Yeah, now looking back, I'm so glad he showed up. Because, yeah, geez Louise, man. Right, how creepy did that sound? <laughs> but after the service is over, me and him go in this back bedroom, and he sits on a bed, and I sit in an office chair, and I'm like, well, tell me, what, what is it that... Uh, um, what is it that you want? He's like the spiritual connection that you and the other guys have. I just I want in on it. I'm like, okay. Well, what's your what's your church background? He's like, I've never been to a church before. I'm ever. like, ever for anything. It's like I've never walked inside of a church building. I'm no, like, okay, kidding. So we cracked open a Bible and went through a little bit of Romans. Not everything, but enough for him to know that Jesus died for his sins and yeah. he could have eternal life if he put his faith in in him. And I said, do you feel comfortable praying? Right. I'm all about like results, right? You, if you're going to do it, do it now. <laughs> Let's do it. Right. I'm like, Hey Why man, do you, you feel comfortable praying right here with me in the room? And he's like, yeah, he's macho. Right. He's like, yeah, I could do that. You know? <laughs> he's like, you challenged him almost. Like, Ex- I dare you. I dare you to pray this. Right, prayer. Right. He's like, oh, I'll pray. I'll pray three <laughs> times right now. Yeah. Yeah. So we bow our heads and close our eyes and um, sit in silence. And it's mm. so awkward. I'm right. like, does he need help? What's right. happening right now? And so I lift my head. I'm like, Hey man, do you feel comfortable praying out loud? And he looks up at me and he's like, I don't know how to pray. And I think to myself, this is why I do this. He doesn't know his lines. He has no context for this whatsoever. I'm like, okay, look, dude, this is, this is so easy. Praying is just talking to God. Like I'm talking to you right now. It's weird because you can't, you can't see him, but when you pray, you can feel him. He's like, hmm, okay. So this (laughs) is like salvation prayer take two. We bow our heads and close our (laughs) eyes and he begins to pray and he's like, yo, God, it's me, Tida. Right. He really Same. does? That's exactly yeah. what he did? Verbatim. And I laugh. like you. Oh, not, not as hard, but I smirk <laughs> to myself because I think to myself, that is so funny um, because it's it, it's funny, but it's probably more authentic right. than any public prayer I've ever heard in That's a church. That's who he is. That, yeah. was, that was true to him. Exactly. So he continues with his prayer and he's like, uh, I pray for uh, my mom's health and my health. Amen. I'm like, okay, this is awkward because I don't like... I. This isn't anything like we had just read about in Romans. I'm glad he's concerned about his mom, but right. I'm, you know, I'm trying to think, do I congratulate him on his fake salvation uh, or do I ruin his vulnerability by telling him his prayer wasn't good enough? Right. right. So like really sensitive. I'm like, hey man, um, great prayer. Great job. You know, like 10 stars. <laughs> Let's um, try it one more time with feeling. That's right? exactly right. I'm like, do you think we could try it one more time? Maybe thinking a little bit more about that dead to sin alive in Christ stuff that we read about. Remember you know? the stuff that we read? Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. He's like. Yeah, yeah, I think I could do that. I said, what you want, you can have. I said, look, it says Mm. if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm. You can have this spiritual connection. You just have to ask for it. And he's like, okay, I guess I could do it again. (laughs) That's my best impression, which he would be really offended by, I'm sure. I can't wait to Um, send him the podcast. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure he'll listen to it. Um, uh, So we bow our heads and close our eyes for the third time. Mm. And uh, he goes... Yo, God, it's me, Tyra. You didn't correct any of that. He's just, like, he's like, yeah, yeah. Like second like verse second of the rap song. Mail. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then he leads in, but something in the room totally shifted. Oh, wow. And he said, you know, I know I act like I know it all, and I know I act like I have oh. it all together, but the truth is I don't. And he said, I need you and i'm wrecked like tears oh, are flowing out of my face because nothing is more beautiful than the raw authenticity yeah. of uh, of of crying out to god Th- that's that's what it's all about when you find that beauty in the comment yeah. we're just sitting in this office and and, and it, there's trees outside and this guy just gave his life over right. to christ and everything changed that I, I I do miss. Sometimes when you're hmm. in, in mega church and you've got hours inside and you're on radio stations <laughs> and <laughs> hey. whatever, whatever. Uh, no, sorry, not you, me. Oh, uh, God, when, great. Yeah, but when when everything's going, sometimes you miss out on that. Yeah. If if you don't intentionally go out and 
pray for your waitress or whatever the case is, try to put feelers out. You can totally lose that and get wrapped up in this Christian culture. And totally. by the time you get on the other side, you have no idea who you are anymore. And I'm like, I don't want to be that. So wow. let's try to engage uh, the, 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 the community, the world, the people, yeah. um, everything around you so that you're constantly influencing everywhere you're at, no matter how big or how little um, you are and what your ministry is That's so doing. good, man. I just had a moment like that uh, last weekend, actually. This woman came up to me. We, we started a new <laughs> series called uh, Open. It's called Open, yeah. based on Scott McKnight's book called Open to the Spirit. Yeah. Just challenging people to be open to the Spirit. Yep. And this woman came up to me afterwards. She said, I've been going to church for, uh, since I was seven, and I've never even considered the stuff that you talked about today about being open to the Spirit. I want that kind of life. Wow. And I, I like barely hold it together because yep. she was exactly what she was fully quote unquote a part of the system. Yeah. And yep. I'm not even knocking the system. Like being right. at a mega church yep. afforded me the opportunity to have this one interaction last That's Sunday. Exactly right. And it was so powerful because and I think she could probably see it in my face. Like <laughs> this this one conversation is is gonna make my whole week of her saying, I don't have all the answers yet, but what you were just saying about being open to the spirit. That's what I want. I didn't know. It's been forty years. That's actually what I yeah. want. Can you help me get there? And I thought, man this that, is why we do what we do, you know? That's totally it. This pendulum swing that we talk about, going back and forth and back and forth, I, I think that the equilibrium that we talk about is this walking by the Spirit. It's the, right. it's, it's the love and joy and peace and patience and totally. kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. That's, that's it. That is the, the happy medium when both totally. forces on both sides are exactly equal. That's so good, man. Well, coming up next, we're going to continue to talk with Jeff Sandstrom from Calvary Church of Naperville about house church to mega church, how to be an authentic person in a life in a world that so often points and leads us in the opposite direction. And I'm excited that he is here in the studio with us having that conversation. So that's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hi, friends. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. And if you're just joining us, this show is hopefully about creating space for dialogue, to not always have easy answers, to kind of lean into the mess and the gray rather than leaning away from it. And I'm normally joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. He's currently in sunny Florida. I actually don't know if it's sunny. He's in Florida. I know that much. He's in Florida right now. Is Brian from Florida? He is not Brian from from Florida. Got it. Is that the joke you were making? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I was just trying to insert myself in I didn't in know there. how to get out of it. There it is. So that voice you're hearing is Jeff Sandstrom Bingo. of Calvary Church in Naperville. Hello, everybody. And before I forget, actually, I want to make sure people have a way to get a hold of you or learn more about you. Are there some websites or emails you can throw their way? Yeah, yeah. Um, anybody that's interested in communication can reach me at jeffsandstrom.net. That's www.jeffsandstrom.net. Was .com taken? Yeah. Okay. A <laughs> uh, guy in Minneapolis. I I don't know. He does something with sound. I don't know who he is, okay. but, uh, you know, he's bought everything now, so he knows that if I need it, I'm uh, no subdued to him. I, .net, that's fine. No, no skin off my back. <laughs> I'm fine with it. Other websites? What's that? Do you have a website for the church or anything else that you can... Uh... Yeah, yeah. CalvaryNaperville.org. Okay. Feel free to uh, run by, see the church website, all the ministry we have to offer. Um, I, I feel like I'm plugging for my church right now. I feel no, kind of... Uh, That's yeah, good. come out, guys. It's great. It's the <laughs> best church in Naperville. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Too how much. How close are we in proximity? We're actually well, probably only a couple miles away, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, we're pretty... Yeah, but we reach different demographics. Let's be That's honest. That's totally true. It's what I yeah. really appreciate about you yeah. because I, I feel like so often pastors can be really territorial. I remember oh, yeah. like my first year in ministry... Somebody used the phrase sheep stealing 
And I was like, what is that? And someone with a straight face, they said, oh, it's if someone from my church goes to an event at your church and they like it better, so they go to your church. You're now a sheep stealer. And oh, I was for like, sure. dork congregations know that we're doing, that we're calling calling them sheep? Like, That's it was... how we became a megachurch, sheep stealing. No kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm totally kidding. That's not true at all. No. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's, it's just different, though. Different people reach different people. I don't know why uh, um, people get hung up on... Uh, totally. Um, I mean, maybe that's easy to say when you work at a church that's you know has a lot of people, but mm. I mean, it's, I, if someone has a heart of taking people from another church, I mean, they... They really need to do some uh, inventory because that's, I mean, that's not the heart of God. Right. I mean, people will be reached different places. And if totally. if that's the case, if somebody grows more at another place, we want them to be in the best spiritual track they right. can be on. Why wouldn't we celebrate that? Why would, Absol- cool, man, if you, if you connect and plug over there, praise God. We're, Absol- ha- we're happy you found a home. We were all on the same team. Church is definitely more about uh, um, just budgets and numbers. It's about souls that spend eternity away from God or with God. And the more that go with God, the better. Okay, so I got a question. I'm going to put you on the spot then. Do do you find in like, I don't know, in meetings or conferences that people respond to you differently when they find out the size of your church. Is Absolutely. There like a, really? There's like a notable, oh. like a social shift? Like, oh, yeah. really? Tell me more. Yeah, when somebody's like, so where are you at now? And you drop the name of a church, like it's respect is there. You know, when we were house church planting, it was like, oh, so how's that going? When are you going to plant a real church? Oh, no you kidding. You know, something like that. And then you tell somebody that, you know, you're, you're, you're a campus pastor or a sites pastor at Calvary Church. People are like, Oh wow! You must be really something, and it's like, what? <laughs> Wait, was I not two years ago when I was right. playing at house churches? Right. I, I thought we all had a calling here. Yeah. Is this something that God calls us to? Why is you know? I, it's just it's it's kind of crazy. And then you know you're rubbing shoulders with people, and they're like, so how many you're rubbing? What they're really saying is, you know, mm. how big is your thing, and how big is mine? Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> how do you navigate that though? How like how do you deal with? The noticeable shift of interest when someone's like, oh now, oh I'll talk to you now that I know. The quote, totally unquote, disinterested. Size of your church, right? Yeah, totally disinterested. Really? So if someone, because there are, you go to conferences and stuff, and somebody starts talking to you, and if they haven't heard of your church and they ask how many people or whatever, it's like, the, you know, people won't treat you as part of the club. You're not part of the good old boys until mm-hmm. they find out, you know, what kind of impact you're making, which is directly responsible with how, how much money your church has or how many mm-hmm. people attend your church. And then once they find out, it's like, oh, now you're welcome into this inner circle. I, I, just, I don't know that I have any interest in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're not... I mean, I, I say that now as a young buck. Who knows? Maybe yeah, right. I'll be, you know, be, uh, decaying more as time goes on <laughs> and I get older. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's, uh, um, if we don't keep the main thing the main thing, we're going to um, slowly stray away from, from God. And if yeah. we do that, then, I mean, what makes, you know, a difference between us and the rest of the world? Well, and, and you're right. Keeping in mind what you're talking about with the pendulum, too. Like, I'm, I've been so grateful for leaders like David John Ferguson who have, who have kept two I think, separate people, two separate people, right. Dave and John Ferguson, right. co-founding pastors, Community Christian Church, Chicago. But one of the things that they do really, really well is elevate other people. Like Dave yeah. just wrote a book called Hero Maker. That's it. And the whole thing, he's like, man, be the platform, not the star. Like that's like it. What you do with your resources matters, and and counting numbers isn't wrong. But you don't want the pendulum to go so far the other way. They're like, we right. don't count our money. We right. don't count. Right, right, right. None of it, man. It's all about the gospel. You're like, no. Nope. Right. Being mindful with those things. You have to. Has its place. Yeah. Numbers Just, are important because right. people are important. Right, like, exactly. And people are souls. Souls that will spend eternity totally. away or with. from. So you have to you know, keep track and you want to grow. You set goals. Totally get that. But yes. when you use it as a badge is to say that, 
you've made it or you're a bigger corporation, use the word corporation, you're in trouble. Right. And I just kind of feel like, you know, um, if the church remains, I think Rick Warren talked about uh, organization versus organism. And if you stay in Hmm. organism, I mean, it's living, breathing and work. I mean, that's that's growth. You're either growing, you're dying. So you want to make sure you're always growing for sure. That distinction between metric and badge is really good. I think Hmm. that's significant because we and, and more so than I ever have in my in my ministry career. Yeah. You know, measure a lot of things that I'm not inclined I'm not pre I'm not pre wired to measure and I've learned so much in my three years of community about like, oh, this is how you like establish goals and actually set people yeah. up for success. Stuff yep. that like honestly I'm not that great at. Right, right. I feel like I've absorbed so much of that and seen but man, we're learning. Right, we are learning. We're and the same age. We, you know, totally. It, there, there are people that have been down this road that need to teach us how to do these. Ian, our cool days are totally behind us. <laughs> That's one hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally. think after like twenty-two at the very latest, you know, it's just a downhill, gradual <laughs> kind of like. Don't try to be cool. Don't try to. I mean, my jeans aren't nearly skinny enough anymore. Ex- exa- they, I, they're not painted on. I mean, they're you know they're not loose or anything, but they're definitely not painted on like they used to be. And uh, Thanks for describing my jeans in detail. You're welcome. I I, well, you know, I, I, <laughs> sure I snuck a peek really under that. the table before we started. I just oh, wanted to gosh. make sure I was telling the truth. Uh, but yeah, I think our cool days are behind us, so it's it's really not about us. It is about making ourselves a platform for other yep. people. If we're not pulling people up from the next generation, I mean, what happens when we die? Yeah, I mean, everything right. just folds up, and we need to. We should always be looking to somebody ahead of us, but we should always be walking with people beside us and pulling people that are behind us and mentoring and then showing them the way. I mean, isn't that what discipleship totally. is? I mean, totally. if our only job is to go into the world and make disciples, if we're not doing disciples, we're not doing our job. And is right. Jesus happy with us? Well, and I think that's what makes you so successful at what you do, honestly, because the ways that you pour into people, and I've seen it firsthand, is so genuine. Mm. And it's not just a project, it's not just a ministerial accomplishment. You, you give yourself to people. And I think it was Maxwell that said, you know, you can teach what you know, but you'll reproduce who you are. Yeah. And I think who mm-hmm. you are, again, like you said, still learning, still has a long way to go like I do, but is is so genuine and so deeply cares for people and the local church. I think even people that like your friend that you mentioned, even when they don't have the language for it, yeah. there's a magnetism that says, hey, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that in my life. Thanks, Ian. You yeah. said that exactly when we rehearsed it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reading a script, a teleprompter, <laughs> right, right in right. front of me. And it's but I really mean that, man. I'm grateful, and I think that Naperville and the city of Chicago and Illinois is a, is a better place because of your impact. I just think you, I think you're a great pastor. I think that's probably why we connected so well. Is just because uh, we have the same heart, and yeah. hearts are intertwined together. Dude, I'm so grateful for you, man. You've been listening to Jeff Sandstrom, guest host here today on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, but I do need to confess something. There is no Brian from. I mean, he still exists. He's just not here right now. We, we're told he's in Florida, but I have not seen any evidence of the fact. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. 
You can go to 1160hope.com, plus the show is podcasted, so you can listen to all the previous shows. But this week, though, we've just been bringing friends into the studio, sharing their stories, sharing their heart for ministry, and uh, I'm absolutely thrilled that Pastor Ricky Brown is here in the flesh with us today. Pastor, thank you. Thank you for being here, man. (laughs) Thank you for having me, and this is fun, man. Let me just give people a little bit of your bio, because it's it's one of my bios, one of my favorite bios so far. So you're not Uh only a church planner. (laughs) <laughs> you are lead pastor and founder of New Creation Church in Chicago. You have a huge heart for missions and have preached the gospel around the world and in prisons. You're also a proud United States Air Force veteran, as well as a musician and a composer in his spare time, whatever that is. Right. You can learn more at newcreationchicago.org, but you also are a fellow fedora lover. So, yes. man, after my own heart, man, I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, man. This is fun. Thanks so, so much. So you have like a, a grab bag of interest, which I like, mm-hmm. I have an affinity for that. Like yeah. it's, you know, it's rare sometimes that you find pastors and church planners that also have an interest in music and you yeah. have, I mean, I just think you have this rich tapestry of experience, but tell me a little bit about like your church planning experience. I know that you guys are only like six months in, in Chicago. Yeah. Like tell us the story of what led up to that fact and some of the hurdles and what it's like now, six months in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I think, um, growing up in a more traditional church, um, I started preaching when I was 23 years old. So, I did a lot of missions, Chile, Paraguay, Bolivia, Peru, Honduras, Jordan, Turkey, Dominican Republic, Ghana. And it really helped shape a biblical worldview and not a biblical United States view, if if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times we say, I have a biblical worldview, but have you applied the gospel in different contexts outside of your little circle? Um, 23 years old, you're not going to pastor a church unless you're the next version of Moody, right? <laughs> right, right. So I did a lot of missions, a lot of prison ministry, a lot of youth conferences. But then after I got about 30, 32, I started wondering, what will ministry be like long term? Mm. And um, I've always been a self-starter. I, you know, ha- I have always had an entrepreneurial drive and... um I went to this conference called Exponential. I'm familiar with it. You've got to go to Exponential. <laughs> I tell plug. everybody this. Exponential is designed to inspire and inform. Yep. And whether you are or are not a church planter, once you leave Exponential, you will know it. Yeah, right. That's good. That's a good plug. That's really good. Okay. Yeah. So I went to the Mecca for church planters. <laughs> and I was scared to death, man. That was a big investment for me because hmm. I bought a plane ticket rented a rental car and a hotel room, not even sure if I was supposed to be there. Were you by yourself? I was by myself. No kidding. 2015. And um, yeah, man, and I went, there were several defining moments that were said from the stage, one of which they said the average pastor that goes to an existing church does not have what it takes to plant a church, but the average church planter does not have what it takes to go to an existing church. I was just like, that's me. That's me. <laughs> but there were several several different things. Right. And um and yeah, coolest thing about that story may be that five minutes after that sermon, I walked out to the different cookouts and there was a new thing gathering. And so I said, Well, I'll go to New Thing. They're right in my neighbor backyard in Naperville. Right. And Dave Ferguson sat down beside me and was eating a hamburger with me five minutes after he had preached to thousands of people. <laughs> now most conferences you don't get to talk to the speaker. That's right. 
And he sat down next to me. I was a random stranger and started talking to me about church planning. He can't get rid of me today. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who works closely with Dave, yeah. I can attest to that. That's yeah. just sort of how yeah. he is. That's how yeah. Patrick is. Like, mm-hmm. it is, they they walk the talk. And you, like, you picked up on that, it yeah. sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So so, the, so that led then, that, like, planted a seed, maybe? Started Absolutely. a fire? How would you describe it? I, you know what? I didn't exactly run with the vision right there. <laughs> I, um, yeah, no glory to my own. And a lot of times people want me to tell my story and they want it to be sexy, mm. but it's not. Mm. It's just not. And so I went on from there, um, pursued education and did all of this stuff. I even pastored at a church plant, hoping that, hey, I'm working at a church right, plant. Right. Maybe you'll leave me alone. <laughs> but everyone around me was like, dude, you're supposed to plant a church. Really? Like, what are you, what are you waiting on? Man, man. And so, man, yeah. Um, yeah. With tears in my eyes, man, I drove around my neighborhood, um, after leaving a Ed Stetzer meeting, if you don't get fired up at one of his things, I don't know <laughs> what's wrong with you. If you're supposed to plant a church. Uh, and, and I was just convicted. And the Lord literally told me either you plant this church or I'm gonna get somebody else Wow, because they're too, 200,000 people within three miles of Hyde Park. Really? About in the neighborhood, three Protestant churches, four. No kidding. So that means, statistically speaking, church attendance in the city is 10%. So that means there's 180,000 people sitting at home on Sunday morning. Wow. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's why God was saying, listen, you plant this church or I'm going to get somebody else. Jeez. And so, um, yeah. I had to I had to just come clean and say, you know what, I'm paralyzed by fear and I've I haven't been being obedient. I haven't answered this call. And I tell you what though, the day I got in my car after leaving that meeting and I started driving around the neighborhood, and here I go, I'm walking into business and saying, Hi, I'm Ricky, I'm a church planner. I've been a church planner all of two minutes. Okay. You got business cards already. You oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hi. I'm planning a church in this neighborhood. Well, how long you been at it? Today. You know. <laughs> right before I walked in here. Right before I walked in here. Look, wiping snot from my nose and tears from my eyes. Oh, man. And, and, um, and, but, Ian, from that day, God began to open ridiculous, crazy doors. And I could talk to you all day long about that, man. So, so did you imagine that you would be a church planner like when you were a kid? Like, was that ever like a dream? Was that ever like, oh, that's probably going to be me eventually? I have a pilot's license in my pocket. That was my dream. To be a pilot? Yes. I want to fly wide-body jets for Federal Express. That was my dream. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of like church planning, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) And, and yeah, man, I I went to uh, Embry-Riddle in Florida, and I was headed in that direction. Uh, as they say in the South, with breakneck speed. Yep, yep. And the Lord was like, no, you're going to preach. So is it strange then, like looking back, like thinking back to your like 16-year-old self to where you're at now? You're like, oh, man, 16-year-old me would have never have guessed this is where I'd land. And and none of my relatives. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, when it really gets weird is when I get on a plane. Mm. You see these kids, they're younger than me, and they're sitting right seat. And they're walking in there with the little stripes on, like that, right. all that. It's like you, you. I, know, I can do that. I got <laughs> the plastic in my pocket. Right. I know exactly. Thrust, lift, weight, and drag. I got this thing down. You know. Have you so, ever thought, like, when you're in planes, you're like, oh man, maybe one day in the future, maybe maybe piloting will still be a part of your. Absolutely. I think I'm. A, I'm just gonna be as reckless for Jesus as I can be. I love that. And if I get fired, I'm. I'll be in the cockpit <laughs> flying airplane. <laughs> See, this is what I appreciate about you. You, you still have a number of different passions, and, yeah. and you have this music 
kind of mm-hmm. bent this piece that I think probably having that myriad of interests probably makes you a much more relatable pastor. Like, oh, this is yeah. a real dude whose brain works in a number of different ways and his yeah. heart sometimes is pulled in different directions. And like, I feel like people yeah. hear that and they're like, oh, yeah, that's how I am. That's yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to sit in on sex uh, <laughs> uh, at my church for the first time that's this so Sunday. Good. And I'm I'm, I'm, re- I'm not preaching, so I'm excited. Dude, that's so yeah. good. That's so good. Yeah. All right, well, if you're just joining people. us, we got Pastor Ricky Brown in the studio from New Creation Church. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the urgency of church planning. Mm. I didn't even know what church planning was till a couple of years ago anyway. But you, mm-hmm. you have this passion, this fire for the urgency, not just the necessity, yes. but the urgency of why church planning matters. We're going to talk about that next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is somewhere, Florida, we're told. But you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can go to 1160hope.com. Plus, the show is podcasted. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. But we have church planner, pastor, fellow fedora lover, Pastor Ricky Brown, <laughs> in the studio right now. We've been talking about church planning in general, but you mm-hmm. specifically have this like deep, burning passion yeah. to help people understand not just the importance of church planning, but the absolute urgency of church planning. Would you, would you talk to us a little bit about that? So, um, two things. One... There are 4 million babies born every year in the United States. Wow. There are only 4,000 churches planted. No kidding. That does not include or take into consideration those that are declining or plateauing. Mm. From a mathematical perspective, we must plant new churches. From a social, sociological perspective, yeah. we are building more houses. We're building more schools. We're building more um, hospitals. And unfortunately, we're building more prisons. Mm. We must plant more healthy, reproducing churches. That's right. Now, to take it a a step further, um, I'm passionate about multi-ethnic ministry. And I want to give this caveat. If there is not a diverse person within 50 miles of your church, it's okay. That's a good question. Yeah, have, yeah. I just because everybody acts like every church is going to be multi ethnic, and it's not. Right. Pay know? attention to your surroundings. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> like I have a friend, uh, Tim Kimberly, hmm. who's with uh, I believe Nam, and he's planting a church in Iowa, and he has one black person. I'm like, dude, <laughs> that's a win. <laughs> that's dude. How'd you do it? You know. Uh, so man, look, but I think that. I don't see much hope for race relations in the United States outside of the multi-ethnic church. Hmm. The reason why I feel that way is because if we were ever going to accomplish it, divide it, we would have done it by now. Yeah, right. But when you look at the civil rights movement and you look at who Dr. King is flanked by, he just got anybody. He didn't say you got to be a Protestant. He didn't say you. Do you believe that, you know, all men were created equal? Yeah. Okay. And they marched. And so how much greater should the testimony of the body of Christ be? We've got to get to the place where, um, you know, uh, black people submit to white leadership in church and white people submit to black leadership right. in church and Asians and Hispanics. And we can't tell the world 
how this thing is supposed to look if if 11 o'clock is the most divided hour in the United States. That's That was the quote I was going to use. I think that's Dr. Yeah. Tony Evans, right? Yeah. We've, made some, we've yeah. made some progress. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But 11 to 12 is still the most segregated hour of Absolutely. the week on Sundays. Yeah. And yeah. I think uh, one of the one of the things, is it? Yeah, yeah, Dr. King. Yes, well, sir. well, then Tony Evans needs to give some, he needs yeah. to cite his sources. My yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. Oh, sorry. But like for me, I think it's, I think it's really important because I feel like a lot of times, particularly when we talk about uh, racism and bigotry, it gets sort of downplayed as like, ah, oh, it's a bad habit or it's a thing mm. we got to deal with. I'm like, ah, oh, it's a sin. It's, yeah. it's an affront to the Imago Day, right? If we are all mm. made in the image and likeness, then we got to stop calling it, ah, oh, that's a, a problem to solve mm. or that's like a little bit of an issue. Like, nope, it's outright blasphemous then. Yeah. If we are image bearers yeah. for the church, big C church, yeah. to go after that and say, nope, we, can't, we cannot stand for that anymore. Mm-hmm. And what you're saying, it sounds like your vision then is ecumenical. It has to yeah. look like evangelical and Protestant and Catholic and Orthodox yeah. and everything in between. How do we do that? How, how do we head, how do we, what, what's the way forward in light of all of our divisions? Well, you know, for one, um, if you take a steak and put it on a plate mm. and you put salt around the steak, even salt within a centimeter of the steak, super close, right? it has no effect Unless it touches, mm. it has to touch. So if you're going to be the salt and light of the world, it has to touch. Mm. And so now watch this. You've never heard a uh, customer in a restaurant or, or, or a person in the kitchen say, oh, no, you're going to make the salt taste like steak. Mm. That would be crazy, right? Right. right. Does the 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 salt does it the steak doesn't make the salt taste like steak the salt makes the steak taste like salt mm. and we've got to get that in our heads man and so uh once we understand that then we can move in any circle uh we want to move in and we get to hey look if you're going to invite me to talk about Jesus and uh and it's in a secular venue and and I don't have to uh, censor my speech. Absolutely. I'm gonna let you pay for it while I lift up Jesus. Right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. I couldn't talk to those people any other kind right. of way. Totally. So we've got to understand that. That's okay. So a friend of ours named Alan Hurst talks a lot about yes. this word diatribo, right? Yeah. Diatribo. Yeah. Whenever we read Jesus spent time with mm-hmm. diatribo means, Oh, they like rubbed shoulders. They like yeah. actually like this idea of not just being, Oh, they're over there. It's yeah. those people over there. It's like, yeah. no, no, no. It's time invested in. And I think, this incarnational way of living is something that is easy for us to post online about and so hard to actually embody. Right. Because, and I think it's for a number of reasons, it's our own biases. Mm -hmm. It's our own preconceived notions about the other. Right. Mm -hmm. But like what you're doing, you're six months in now. Right. So still maybe arguably still honeymoon or no, is the honeymoon worn off? I think it's worn off. Yeah. (laughs) I think the honeymoon is over. So you're like in yeah. the rhythm now. You're like, okay, this yeah. is this is the yeah. grind. Like, what yeah. what are some of the obstacles that you've come against in like really having a vision and passion for multi ethnic? Mm. When so often it's easier just to sort of hang out on our own tribes, right? Like, I think it was Brene Brown who says people are hard to hate up close. Yeah. So when we're inclined to retreat, she's saying, ah, lean in, like learn their story, diatribo a little bit. How how do you guys do that? Well, uh, you know, in all humility, let me say this first: I got an education planting a church on the south side of Chicago. Right. Because of the great migration, uh, there are uh, tons of African-Americans living on the south side that are from my home state, Mississippi. Hmm. So, Ian, I erroneously thought that I had black folks figured out. 
Oh, interesting. But man, I've I've got an education. So think about it this way. In Mississippi, a place that unfortunately has been marred by racism and, and violent crimes against people of color. Yeah. The average black person in Mississippi is super happy to work towards race relations and, and reconciliation. But now <laughs> on the woke south side of Chicago. <laughs> yep. Yep. Some of my brothers and sisters are like, well, hold on. Let's yeah. let's let's <laughs> pump, you know, pump the brakes a little bit. Pump the brakes. <laughs> Why? You know, and, and I've yeah. had to talk because and I get it. I understand it. If Ian, if you had to work five days a week in corporate America where you had to watch how you talk, you had to watch your hair, right. you had to watch what you had to what you wore, uh, your mannerisms, and then on Sunday you get to go to a historically African-American church where you get to be yourself. Yes. You don't have to worry about anybody judging you or anything. So I get it. it everyone doesn't want to be a part of a multi-ethnic church. Right. I get it. Right. Yeah. So so I appreciate your patience in that perspective, too, yeah. because like what you were saying earlier, sometimes we try to superimpose diversity into our churches that actually mm-hmm. is not reflective of the community nope. that we're in, yeah. which is like a form of exploitation, right? It it's, is. The, it's like, how, oh, it's our it's our token person of color. And you're like, okay. Uh, it's transactional and inauthentic. Oof, that's good. All right. I don't think we're done with this conversation. Coming <laughs> up next, I want to talk more about church planning, about multi-ethnic church, and the hope that you see, yeah. because amidst all the frustrations and hurdles, like you still seem to have this undying hope. Yeah. And I want to learn more about that. That's coming up next on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com. The show is podcasted, plus we have a new carrier pigeon service. If you want to deliver it right to your front doorstep, we can do that. But we are joined in the studio right now by Pastor Ricky Brown, the lead pastor and founder of New Creation Church. You can learn more at newcreationchicago.org. And uh, this is the, the most fired up I've been <laughs> since we started this thing. Man, I, on, I, man. I love you're talking about this idea of not only the urgency of church planning, but like the need for multi-ethnic expression, but one that has integrity. Yeah. Because what I often hear, maybe more often in suburban context, is this like, Oh, I'm colorblind. I don't see color. And I'm like, yeah. I don't think that's the goal. No. Right? The no. goal isn't to be colorblind, to, to just sort of grayscale everything. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't have like a great theology of this, but I think when I look at even just genealogies in scripture, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, where people come from yeah. matters to God. So so how do we how do we mm-hmm. raise the value of multi-ethnic expression while also like honoring the actual communities that we're in? And and what like how, how do we hold that tension well? How how do we lead that? I, I think what we got to do is, one, look at where we've come from, but look at where we're going. I don't think we understand that in Revelations, it says every nation, every tribe, every tongue. How are they differentiated? So me being black is not something that needs to be fixed Mm. or Hispanic or Asian or any other person of color. That means some kind of way uh, when I meet up with Christ, he's going to have my reward. And and I believe we're going to be in a glorified state, right? Uh, no more pain, no more tears, no more all of that kind of good stuff. But some kind of way, we're going to be able to tell every ethnicity, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Right, right. So um, what that lets me know is is that the different ethnicities is not something that needs to be fixed. Totally. 
Um, this is this is a part of the beautiful expression of God. We're made in his image. And, you know, if you believe that when we see him, we should be like him. That means that when I look at the father, <laughs> I'm going to see some brother in there. Yes. I'm going to yes. see some Asian in there. Totally. I'm going to see some Hispanic in there. Totally. Some kind of way. Totally. You know, he's going to be all of that. That's I know so some good. people are freaking out right now. <laughs> but but. We were made in his image. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I've been confronting a lot more the last maybe five years or so is some of my own white lens. Mm-hmm. And uh, that can be really humbling to deconstruct some of that because yeah. some of it was was caught, not taught. It's just yeah. sort of the water that we swim in without even realizing mm-hmm. it. And I imagine that goes both ways. But like, oh, yeah. for you, do you feel like... Are there expectations of you, like, oh, well, you're a black preacher, so you have yeah. to you have to preach a certain way, yep. plant a certain way, pass a certain way, and how how do you like find your own yeah. in like a sea of expectations, some of which maybe are valid, and others of which maybe yeah. are anything but valid? You know, the vision of our church is that we exist to be a diverse community of disciples who make disciples in yep. a church that plays churches throughout the world. I love that. Our mission is inviting people to become a new creation. Sounds a lot familiar like something you've heard before. <laughs> and, you know, Ian, I explained this on Sunday. I know what it's like as a person of color to be in a majority white setting and wonder, like, where, where's the chocolate up in here? You know, where, where are the black people, right? <laughs> right. I, I know what that's like. Yeah. So now I find myself as a person of color passing a church that's 80% black on any given Sunday and sometimes even more than that. Now I find myself consoling white people to make sure that they really? so everything that I would have wanted that white pastor to say from the pulpit or air he did say to make me feel welcome. I find myself saying those same things to make them feel welcome. Tell me more about that. What, what is what is consoling a Caucasian person in a predominantly <laughs> African-American church look like? Like, what's yeah. the type of conversations you're having? Well, again, because of the history of race relations in Chicago, um, it's quite socially acceptable to say that, you know, we are a, a historic African-American church mm. and some churches. Got it. That's not us. Right, right. We are a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic church plant. So I think that when I deliberately say that, that we, we exist to be a diverse community of disciples who make disciples, it's, it's, it's language that lets them know, oh, I'm not a visitor here. Hmm. I'm not an outsider, that this can be my church too. Hmm. And to be honest, I, I, <laughs> Every minority knows what it's like to go somewhere and feel like, okay, I'm a visitor here. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. And so I have to combat those same things and, and, and just be, just explicitly say that we, our hope is that we would continue to be a diverse community of disciples who make disciples in a church that plants churches. That's so good. So one of the things, I had a, a buddy of mine who's a, a songwriter. Mm. He's a black songwriter. Mm. And he I think he retweeted somebody. The quote was something like, uh, just because you have a person of color singing a Tomlin song doesn't make it a diverse worship set. This, uh, this idea of like, oh, as long as the yep. stage is colorful, Mm-mm. then we're either A, being diverse, B, we're multi-ethnic. And he wasn't knocking it. You know, mm-hmm. this is a buddy of mine who who grew up in a, a pretty suburban Wisconsin context. So yeah. so even he's kind of coming to terms with his own identity of feeling sometimes like, I don't feel black enough here, but I feel mm-hmm. that I'm not white enough here. Like, how, do you, how do you navigate some of the nuance of like, okay, we celebrate diversity. And it seems like you're you're certainly succeeding in that regard. Yeah. But I imagine, too, there's also 
opportunities and obstacles. Like, what would you say to someone listening that's like, man, I want to start taking steps with our church yeah. to think more intently about these things? Um, the first thing you have to do is define two words. One word is multi-ethnic, and the second word is multicultural. Oh, that's good. Tell me more. And these terms are different. Multi-ethnic means different ethnicities. Multicultural, different cultures. For example, I preach at a church sometimes out in Bolingbrook. But if you take a black kid from Bolingbrook and a black kid from Austin, right, they have very different cultures, but they're of the same ethnicity. Mm. But if you drive out to Elk Grove or Schaumburg, you could take uh, four soccer moms, one white, black, Asian, Hispanic, different ethnicities, very similar culture. All a part of a small group, value dinner being on the table. That's, that's why you live in the suburbs. You have a certain value. Let's be honest. Sure, right. You have a certain set of values. And it's like, man, this place matches my values. So once we begin to discern the difference between being multi-ethnic and multicultural, then you're really on your way. Um, there are some churches that don't have a need to be multicultural hmm. because if everyone of, even though they're of different ethnicities, subscribe to the same culture, then you're fine. Right. Right. Then there's no need to inject something as foreign, right. but you also need to understand that just because you are multi-ethnic does not mean that you're a multicultural and you may need to be. That's good. Okay. So it's two different things. So, and I know this because you're kind of a part of our network. Now you're a part yeah. of our family. If, yeah. if we've not mentioned it, new thing network is, you know, that's, that kind of is birthed out of community with Dave Ferguson yeah. and Patrick yeah. O'Connell. And we have these catalyst communities now in the city, mm-hmm. which uh, has a number of purposes, not the least of which is how do we learn from each other? Mm-hmm. Even if our church communities don't look exactly the same. Tell me how that has impacted yeah. the way that you've done church planning and church leading. Oh, man, I can, <laughs> Lord, um, I could talk ad nausea about a new thing and the Thirst Network and the Chicago Catalyst community. Um, you know, Dave has this thing, Friends on Mission. Mm-hmm. And we talked about in Lauren last week that, um, what is it? Uh, oh, fellowship, community plus trust equals communitas, which is a community with a cause. Yes, yes. Okay? So, oh, mission. Mission plus trust equals communitas. Love it. That's what it is. So the idea of being friends on mission, developing koinonia, not just um, in your own church, but in the Chicagoland area, you are more likely to share resources. You're Mm. more likely to share people. You're more likely to share ideas, sermon series, whatever it is you need. That is so powerful. Mission plus trust equal communitas. And communitas means a community with a cause. The problem is we have a lot of communities that just don't have a cause. That's good. And I think, too, what I've noticed, particularly in like rubbing shoulders with unchurched people, non-church people, Mm. is that more than any program or sermon series, what sends a message to them is when they see churches linking arms. Yeah. I think what does the opposite is like, oh, you guys are all these Jesus people. Y'all seem to hate each other. <laughs> but when they see, even if they're not yet a Jesus person themselves, they see mm-hmm. churches say, yep, we're going to resource share, people share. I think that sends such a strong message to the community at large. Like, oh, maybe maybe there is something bigger going on here. Absolutely. And not just sort of all these denominational divides, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think is actually connected to what I want to talk about next, which is this idea of overcoming fear, right? Yeah. And, I, and I have a sense that what you're going to say is that we're better together, and yes. that's part of the key to actually overcoming this thing that 
probably all of us have been crippled by yeah. in some way, shape, or form. So that's coming up next with Pastor Ricky Brown on The Common Good right here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins. Brian Fromm is normally here, but he's on vacation with his family. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show or 1160hope.com. But we have in the studio right now Pastor Ricky Brown of New Creation Church in Chicago. You can learn more. I encourage you to learn more at newcreationchicago.org. And, uh, man, we've been talking about all sorts of things today. It's all good. But this next topic, I'm sure no one's going to have any relation to at all. This probably won't apply to anybody. Right. The idea of overcoming fear, Mm -hmm. right? But I I, I think that you, just based on first blush, like you don't strike me as someone who has ever dealt with fear in any capacity whatsoever. Why why are you so passionate about this topic of overcoming fear? Well, here we are uh, six months into a a church plant. Um, If... um, well, 70% of the people that come through our door were not attending church before we launched. No kidding. If everyone were to show up on one Sunday, we'd be over 200 people. We normally have about 80 in attendance on Sunday because, um, you know, people come to church once every one to three weeks, four right. weeks. It's a young church. Right. But this almost didn't happen because of fear. Hmm. And in the initial stages, um, the Lord had to convict me of sin and... When you look in Revelations, it says the you know the the abominable, the liars, the fornicators, the adulterers, and the cowardice. That word is translated and the fearful. They don't do too well. Right. He's not pleased with them. Right. <laughs> okay. And um and so I had to come to a place in my life where to hear God speaking, to be clear on whom it is speaking, and who He is speaking to, and to not obey. Solely because you're you're you are of afraid that is mm. not okay. Wow, that is sin. Yeah, and so it was from that lens that I said, "Man, I, I was convicted." You know, I, there was tears rolling down my eyes. I didn't want to accept the fact that I was walking uh, in sin because I know I know I was supposed to plant the church. Okay, it was pretty clear. He gave me a name, gave me a vision, and I'm working on it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right, right. I want to be safe. Right, you know? sometime down the road. Right, right you know, and um. And then, yeah, so finally we launched out to it. Um, the, the, the key is, is that perfect love casts out fear. Mm. And the only one who can love us in a perfect way is Jesus. And so that means that he is, he is here to cure me and not to kill me. He's here to make me better and not make me bitter. Come on. And I have to trust him that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And watch this, and I call it according to his purpose. And so when you walk in the purpose that God has set before you, you can't possibly go wrong. There may be storms, there will be trials, there will be tribulations, but whatever happens, he says, I pro-. why does he say so many times in the Bible, fear not? Yeah, right. <laughs> so many times, the fear not. The most common command in all the scripture, right? Do not be afraid. Why? Yeah. Because there are several situations, even weekly for some people, we have... Um, an enormous amount of opportunities to be afraid. Yeah, right. And he promises always, well, I'll never leave you right. nor forsake you. Right, right. So it always Fear comes not. back to presence, right? Mm-hmm. So that's almost always linked, this idea of do not be afraid, yeah. for I am with you. In, yeah. in this journey of overcoming fear, has there been any sort of like deepening sense for you of, of God's presence, like in what you're doing and the people you're doing it with? You know what? One, the biggest fear I had was raising money. Hmm. 
I went to Africa to preach for four days, and I have been in places with great material needs before, but I had never seen poverty like that. Mm. And so it was, it was impossible for me to preach and just get on the plane and go home. So I wanted to raise some money to build a well, and we were able to build a well in, a, in Africa. Awesome. Man, it took me 15, 20 days to raise $2,000 to build a well. Mm. And I'm thinking, this is water. People are going to just, <laughs> let's just do it. Y'all, right, yeah, man. Right. Yeah, they Full need the money they raising the day. water. Right. You know? And so I really wasn't too keen on my um, ability to fundraise. I, I, I would look at the amounts of money that other people would raise to plant churches in major cities, and I would immediately disqualify myself and say, God, you didn't call me to do that, so I don't know how to do it. Right. But what happens is, Everybody hates fundraising until they get a yes. <laughs> now you love it. Oh, really? Oh, man, yeah, you get a yes. See, because oh. I'm not a fundraiser. I don't know the feeling. Oh, man, you hate it until you get a yes. <laughs> that makes sense. You get a yes, and now you love it. Now it's the best thing in the world. And so that's sort of kind of what happened to me. Um, we were blessed, and we still need just a few more partners, if you're listening. Right on. <laughs> Is there a website they can go to? Yeah, newcreationchicago.org. Uh, but... We we got a bunch of, you know, extraordinary gifts and God just showed us favor. And I'm going to tell you, God made a fool out of me, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I even had um, Josh Taylor, founder of Missio Day in Chicago. I love Missio Day. Josh told me, he said, um, he was the first person I sort of kind of met with this last time. And I said, man, I just got to come clean because I was passing at Missio Day uptown. And I told Josh, I said, man, I am supposed to plant a church, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared, and I don't know what I'm going to do, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wreck. And Josh goes, dude, you got to freaking crush it. you got to kill it. I'm so excited. And I'm like, can you match my level of hysteria right yeah, now? Right. You know. But Josh Taylor, he told me, yep. and I thought it was crazy. I, he, he said, raising funds is going to be the least of your worries. Is and that I, encouraging? <laughs> man, it's it's scary and encouraging, but it is like, I hope he's telling the truth. Right. But you know what? It it might as well have been a, pro, a prophecy, a prophetic word over the ministry for mm. a new creation church because God has just continued to open doors. And so, um, so yeah, man, if you, if you will take the steps and follow God while you walk, he'll work. Oh, man. Are you sure? Are you sure you're not a preacher? You are a preacher. I knew it. I, no. You should really consider a career yeah, nobody in preaching. Nobody listen to me. I, <laughs> I'd, I'd starve to death trying to preach. <laughs> All right. So here's here's what I know about the people listening. S- some people are church planners. They're currently in ministry. Yeah. Some people have no interest in church work whatsoever. Some people aren't even sure they're Jesus people. Mm. Like they've maybe not even ever actually walked into the, the building of a church, yeah. but they're listening right now because they're intrigued. Yeah. The thing that all of those people have in common is that we've all wrestled with fear in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. regardless of our profession, our vocation, our wiring, whatever. Would you take just the last couple of minutes, just just get just get pastoral on us. Like, tell us, help us, encourage us, give us a vision for how, how do we overcome fear yeah. in the big stuff, the huge stuff, the teeny tiny stuff, and, and everything in between. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an old adage um, – you know, you, you, I'm from the South. You know, you walk down the aisle, you give the Lord your heart, you give the preacher your hand. Mm. I would suggest giving the Lord your heart and the Lord your hand. That's good. Yeah. Um, God, his hand, he will walk you through whatever it is you face. You know, there was a story of a little girl and it was Halloween and she told her dad, dad, I want to go to the scary house. Would you take me to the scary house? 
So she kept on persisting that he take her. So finally he said, fine, let's get up, put your clothes on, put your shoes on. I'm going to take you to the scary house. He takes her to the scary house. And wouldn't you know it, she got scared. Sure. And she started to cry and she started to complain about her circumstance. And she looked at her dad and said, uh, dad, would you uh, take me out of this scary house? He said, no. You asked to be here, so now you have to stay. Hmm. They went on a few more feet, and she said, Dad, would you pick me up and carry me through this scary house? She says, he says, no, you wanted to be here. Uh, you got to stay. And she says, well, if you won't take me out, and if you won't pick me up, Daddy, would you hold my hand? Oh, man, come on. And so what we've got to understand about overcoming fear, much or the vast majority of the Christian life is not God coming to get you out and take you out of trouble. Right. It's not always going to be him carrying you through. But I declare he will hold your hand. Come on. Amen. Yeah, man, I cannot tell you how grateful I am for you coming to the studio, being with us for this hour today. I'm so grateful for you, for your heart for ministry, for your church. If you're just joining us, We've been talking with Pastor Ricky Brown of New Creation Church in Chicago. I cannot encourage you enough. Check out newcreationchicago.org to find out more, to check him out on a Sunday, become a financial partner. Pastor, thank you so much for being here today on The Common Good. Thank you, Ian. Appreciate it, man. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.